right, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thank God it's Friday. You know, Thanksgiving is less than a week away. Man. Ugh, what happens to the time? It's just, we just go. Just go. It seems like every time you go around the track, you go around faster. It makes me worry that it's going to be like one of those rides at the fair, you know, where they stick you up against the wall and spin you, and then eventually you can't move because you're stuck against it, you know? That's like what that ride. You like that ride? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So, here it is. It's Friday. And uh, <laughs> emails are, like, pouring in now in buckets. <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is is that um, the the uh, I get a lot more uh, – good questions and comments more than I'm getting the nasty grams now. So I'm pretty happy about that part. That part. I, I still get the nasty grams. Um, and those show up for sure at, at my other blogs, you know, a little leaven and extreme theology.com. You know, and from time to time I, I, I give battlefield promotions to the people who sent, who sent me nasty grams there. So, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. But uh, we got some great email today, so we're going to be doing some listener email. We've got um, I got a segment that I want you to hear from the uh, the annual TBM Fleeceathon that they recently had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fleeceathon. They, they don't call it that, but that's really what it is. It's a Fleeceathon, you know. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be listening to um, Clarence E. Uh, McClendon, Clarence E. McClendon from the uh, the. Uh, Totally blasphemous network uh, fleeceathon, you know, for the fall series, and I'm going to open up the conversation, you know, by you know, we'll, we'll listen to him. But I really want to do some comparative work in the Bible about the gift of tongues. One of the things that uh, really, really um, has me concerned about Pentecostals and Charismatics is what I would consider to be oh, outright defiance of the Word of God regarding the gift of tongues. And as somebody who's been down the Pentecostal trail myself before, one of the things I can tell you guys is that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on people that they, they've got to be speaking in tongues. Because if, if you're not speaking in tongues, then you are not, uh, you know. It's the gift everyone should have. It, well, apparently, it's the gift everyone should have. But the funny thing is, is the Bible actually says the exact opposite. The Bible does does not say that everyone has the gift of tongues. In fact, there's a there's a good Bible passage that says that not everyone does have it. Okay, so we'll get into that. We'll look at the gift of tongues in time. Depending, we might listen a little bit to uh, uh, Ed Young's sermon that he gave this Sunday. You know, because you know, last week he was all over the news, all over the nation. I mean, every channel, wall to wall, seven day sex challenge. Well, what did he say in the sermon where he finally issued the challenge? Right? Was it any good? Well, we're gonna find out. So, it's all about sex. Do do do. And I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be singing like that. And we got Josh in the studio again today. He's rapidly working on a brand new. We we work work out two. New uh, Marty Python Circus churches that we're getting ready to uh, release pretty soon. So, and then next week, you know, we got Thanksgiving. So we got three. Just so you know, ahead of time, folks. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, live programming. Thursday, Turkey Day. I mean, no. <laughs> In fact, Pirate Christian Radio's uh, lineup. You know, um, well, we we got to. Are we going to do a show on Friday? I'm the boss. I got to make a decision, huh? <laughs> 
Hmm. Well, actually, I'm not. You know, I. In fact, I'll bet you anything. Right now, Mrs. Roseboro and Ruby Tuesday are are chatting, going, "Oh, he's got to do a show on Friday." You know, we might just do a show. So I'll keep you posted. But uh, <clears throat> got some email here. Uh, got a. <laughs> now we just so you guys know, if you have a a, a name. That isn't readily available. You know, I cannot divine whether or not it's a male or female name. Let me know ahead of time so that I don't make the uh, same mistake I made with Ola earlier this week. And, and an American first name. Yeah, yeah. If your name is Pat, let me know if you're you know a guy or a girl. We don't have any way of you know running you putting chemicals on the emails to find out if they came if there's estrogen on them or testosterone. So and there's yeah, not a lot of olas in the United States. This is true. Not a lot of olas in the United States. But Denitra writes and it's a she. And she made she made this really clear. She says <laughs> this is her P, her uh, PSS by the way. She she wrote a postscript and a PSS and she says in case you get the urge to refer to me as dude I'll let you know I'm a girl. So apparently, <laughs> no, they're not getting defensive. I just think Denitra doesn't want me calling her a guy or a dude. So you know, she 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 will join the ranks of the um, female emailers to fighting for the faith. And she says, "Okay, Chris, don't laugh. I have been to Pentecostal my entire life, and I just don't know." Okay, well that's all right. It, 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 I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to laugh at her because the question she's about to ask, which is funny, I actually had a very similar question coming out of. The, evangelicalism in the Nazarene church, I was a little confused as to some of the nomenclature that runs around in Reformation circles. Okay, She writes, she says, I have been wondering, are people who consider themselves new Reformed and go to a, quote, Reformed church, are they all Calvinists? I know there are churches that follow a mix of Augustinian, Calvinist, Lutheran theology that consider themselves new Reformed, like Mark Driscoll and, and, and his church, but it seems like new reform generally equals Calvinist. I hope this question makes sense. I'm totally new to anything outside of the Pentecostal, predominantly black church, and would like to learn more. Love your show. All right, Denitra, great question. And uh, let me answer it this way. And this is, you know, I, again, I had the same question. In fact, I, I wasn't even smart enough to ask the question. I just started using terms wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I knew what I was talking about. So, um,. Generally, when you hear the term "reformed," that is generally referring to a Calvinist. Yeah, I would, you know, and so Lutherans don't call themselves reformed at all, and um, so a Lutheran will generally refer to themselves as a Lutheran. And in general, when we talk about those who are in the same in same theological sphere as we are, we'll say that they're part of the Reformation. So, you know, the, some good Reformation churches would definitely be Calvinist and Lutheran. We we consider ourselves to be like dynamic duels, dynamic duo when it comes to Reformation theology. But Reformed people are Calvinists. They generally subscribe to Calvinism in one form or another. So that I think that that's that's how it's used. And so when you hear about Reformed, you know, think in your mind you can translate it equals Calvinist, because R R Lutherans we don't consider ourselves Reformed. You know, we're unreformable. No. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. Just plain and simple, reformed equals Calvinist. And Lutherans, you know, everyone likes to shoot at us, but, you know, that's – there we go. All right. Um, <clears throat> Walker writes – and I'm assuming Walker's not a girl. No. 
Kelly. Walker's emailed in the past. He says, thanks for the uh, the program on The Voice. Now I know uh, to be on the lookout for it as soon as it starts popping up everywhere. And sadly, I'm sure that it will. One of the passages you read brought up an old question in, in my head. He says, The Voice. <clears throat> that's the name of that translation. The Voice. The abomination? The abomination that causes desolation. Anyways, he, The Voice changes John the Baptist to John the Immerser. Which, by the way, that's that's not translation work. That's interpretation work going on there. And he says, uh, this brings up one of the most common arguments I hear when people claim that my baptism was not legitimate. Uh-oh, his baptism wasn't legitimate? Walker, you must have done something wrong if your baptism didn't stick. You know, I'm <laughs> sorry, I know what he's talking about. He says, um, I was baptized as a baby. And the pastor sprinkled water on my head. See, we've got two strikes against poor Walker at this point. Infant sprinkling. All right? It can't possibly be work. It says, when people hear this, they become instant experts in the Greek and inform me that the word baptize means to immerse. No. No. The Greek word baptizo does not necessarily carry that implication with it. He says, I've never studied Greek, but I do have a computerized Bible with a Strong's Dictionary attached. And when I looked up the Greek word, I found to make uh, to make whelm that is fully wet. And that's interesting. Uh, strong, I would I would say is getting you in the ballpark, but you can do better than that. Uh, Bdag, much better. Um, he says I was once directed to Mark seven four, where it talks about priests ceremonially washing their cups, pitchers, and copper pots. Here, it seems that the word used for washing comes from the same root as the word that we use for baptize. And I have been told that these copper parts were so large that they that to say that they were dunked in water as a form of washing would have been implausible. Therefore, my response has been that a careful study of the way the word is used refers more to its association with ceremonial washing and that the power of baptism is not in the method of the water application but the word of God in and with uh, the water, this... The, uh, Water does these things along with the faith that trusts this word of God in the water. Now, this is a good point. Uh, brief aside, I memorized that while going through confirmation as a kid and hated being forced to learn all that, but now I'm grateful that my parents put me through it. Apparently, he has some Lutheran baggage. You know, <laughs> parents made him go through confirmation class. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I, I've abused all three of my children that way, too. That's true. <laughs> He says, since I haven't studied Greek, I'd like to know how you respond to this issue. If you've done so in an earlier program, feel free to point me to it. No, I'll, I'll handle it right here. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to <clears throat> Roseboro's Computerized Bible, Accordance. By the way, they have the new 8.1 version of Accordance out there, and I just updated, and I like some. I love the new updates on this. Uh, okay. Not on this procedure, we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having a geek fest here with my new computerized Bible. All right, let's see here. Baptize. I baptize. Baptizo is our Greek word that in question, and I'm going to pull up uh, bidag, which is the uh, what I consider probably one of the best Greek lexicons out there. And um, here we go. Uh, baptizo. Wash ceremony for the purpose of purification. To wash or to purify. Number two. To use water in a rite for purposes of renewing or establishing a relationship with, uh, as in a relationship with God. To plunge, dip, wash, baptize. Okay. It's a dedicatory cleansing associated with the ministry of John the Baptist. Another 
possible definition. Okay. Scrolling down here. Got to be careful because it'll run right past me. Is that all of them? Those are the those are your main ones there. Okay. So here's the deal. The Greek word baptizo doesn't necessarily imply immersion. In fact, um, ceremonial cleansing involved water, pitcher, coppers, and things like that. To cause someone to have an extraordinary experience akin to an initiatory water rite, to plunge or to baptize. Okay. Now, here's the deal. One of the things you will notice immediately is that the people who are very, very... Um, legalistic is probably a good way of describing it about the fact that baptism has to involve full immersion. Okay. That, um, those people who generally are insistent on that also deny that baptism forgives sins or washes away sins or does anything they deny. So here's the thing I think is really interesting. When you look at things that are going on, you know, here, you know, those who deny the efficacy of baptism and turn it into me showing the world that I've made a decision for Jesus are absolutely legalistic about the fact that it has to be by full immersion, which is bizarre. Okay. You take them to the clear passages that say that in our baptisms, we're buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ. Our sins are forgiven and washed away that our hearts are circumcised by Christ. You take them to all those clear passages and they'll say that it can't mean that. Okay, so they deny the efficacy of baptism, but insist on full immersion. Doesn't make a hoot of sense at all. Okay, now the question is, what's the important part in baptism? Okay, is there a clear word from God that says it must, must, must be by immersion? No, there isn't. Okay, so here's the deal unless you have a clear word from God, you cannot make a hard and fast doctrine regarding its practice. Okay? So, if, like, I've, I've used this analogy before. If you come to me and say that God really enjoys uh, toasted cheese sandwiches, let's just say God really, you, ha you have it, that you absolutely believe that Christians must believe that toasted cheese sandwiches are God's favorite food. I like toasted cheese sandwiches, by the way. If you believe that God loves toasted cheese sandwiches and that as part of, you know, showing our love to God, that we as Christians need to partake of toasted cheese sandwiches on a regular basis, maybe even, you know, have it as part of our fellowship meal after communion, then you need to come to me with clear passages from the scripture that say that God loves toasted cheese sandwiches and that Christians should be, uh, and God requires or wants us to have toasted cheese sandwiches on a regular basis. If you don't have such passages, then your doctrine is complete, completely wacko. It's not true. It's not, it's not something that can bind my conscience. So here's the deal. There is no clear word of God regarding what is required as far as the amount of water when it comes to baptism, plain and simple. Okay? There is clear words from God in the scripture as to what baptism accomplishes, what God does in baptism. So we let the clear passages govern, and where there is no hard and fast rule, then the important thing is not the amount of water. It's the word of God that instructs us to do these things. So the emphasis has to be on the word of God. Now, personally, I think immersion is a cool thing, but I don't think it's required. It's not the amount. And one of the things you know, in my history of talking with people about this issue is that it's pretty well understood that when you're in a warmer clim climate, 
immersion, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to do baptism. Get into cooler climates, not so much, okay? It's not the amount of water that matters. It's the word of God that matters. So in this particular case, what do we need? We need water and we need the word of God. The two mixed together, that's what makes the sacrament. And the amount is really kind of irrelevant, okay? So, and unless you can give me a clear word of God that says, thou shalt immerse only, then no one has a right to say that a baptism is illegitimate. I would say a a baptism would be illegitimate if it was performed by a satanic priest while there was a human sacrifice going on. Yeah, that would probably be an illegitimate baptism. But, you know... Yeah, so, but, uh, you know, as far as the infant baptism thing, we're going to be doing an entire, we're going to be doing a a big segment on that uh, next week. Hopefully next week. I got to call Wolfmuller and find out if he's, if, you know, what his schedule looks like. If we don't get to it next week because it's Thanksgiving, we will definitely get to it the week after. But I think I can lasso him in. Wolfmuller is usually pretty amiable to such things. He likes to talk anyway. (laughs) And he's a lot funnier than I am. Man. Okay, so the answer to the question is no, the, the Greek word baptiz, baptizo does not imply immersion, you know, as some kind of a hard and fast rule. And that's kind of a lame argument anyway. There is no clear word of God that instructs us that it has to be done this way. Important thing is, is the water mixed with the word, you know, that's the, that's the thing. And it does what God says it's going to do, whether or not you believe it's going to do it or not. God's word is true. All right, moving along. Okay, Aaron writes... Uh, he, he, uh, actually, he has an example from the on the street translation. You remember people, I got an email the other day, someone talking about the, uh, it, it, we were talking about the voice and somebody you know, said, you ought to hear this on the street translation. So, uh, he's given me just a side by side comparison here. The, uh, here's Genesis one, one, uh, through three from the King James. It says, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, from the on-the-street version, um, the, the, the word off the street, first off, nothing, no light, no time, no substance, no matter. Second off, God started it all up and whap, stuff everywhere. The cosmos is chaos, no shape, no form, no function, no dark, just darkness, total. And floating above it, all God's Holy Spirit ready to play. Day one, then God's voice booms out lights. And from nowhere, lights, light floods in the skies and the night is swept off the scene. Uh-huh. Off the street translation. Might want to keep it on the street. <laughs> yeah, that's different. I'd have a hard time reading that one for devotional purposes. Okay, question. Rob Bell asks, what thoughts come to your mind as you meditate on this word? Oh, um, oh! I opened the Bible and the first phrase I saw was, woe to you. I repeated it 100 times and now I feel like killing myself. Now what do I do? <laughs> Talking about the Lectio Divina. Yeah. yeah. No. See, that whole Lectio Divina thing is crazy, man. It's this... It's this, you, you open up the, you, you go with the expectation that you're going to experience God's word. You're going to experience God's presence, right? And, um, so you're going to, apparently I can, you know, God is beholden to make me experience him, him, experience him. And the way I do it is just randomly picking a Bible verse, flip, 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 put your finger down and blammo, whammo. There it is, right? 
So, uh, and then what you do is you read it slowly until a word or a phrase pops out at you. And then you repeat that over and over and over again and meditate it. And supposedly you're supposed to experience God's word or God that way. You can experience God. So, all right. So, yeah, it did. Yeah, right. So, so Roxy Lee writes, and this is from Roxy. She says, you know, what, what happens if I open up the Bible and I see the words woe to you? So you repeat it a hundred times, and now you feel like killing yourself. Woe, woe to you. Woe, woe, woe. Best two out of three. Yeah, maybe. <sighs> anyway. So, <clears throat> okay. Now, let's see here. Nathan writes. Now, nah, do I want to do Nathan's or Matt's first? You know, I'm going to do Matt. Um. The other day, um, two days ago. See, I was out of the I was out of the studio yesterday. The other day, uh, I took a press release to task that I had read, and let me uh, remind everybody what the headline read. The headline to the press release read: "Christian Ministry says don't read the Bible this Christmas." Okay, and uh, so uh, Flowerville, Michigan. Uh, Christian Resources International Ministry that sends Bibles and Christian books to the needy Christians overseas is calling on American Christians to spend this Christmas without the Bible. Okay, so apparently that's what we need to do. We need to spend Christmas without the Bible. And I took them to task basically saying that was a really stupid idea. And so the author of the press release wrote me. Didn't know they listened. He says, uh, hey, Chris, I've shot you a few emails before, and my wife and I listen to your podcast regularly. I was surprised that you're mocking a Fred Palmerton of CRI on Wednesday's show. We actually wrote the press release that the, you read the, uh, uh, that the article you read about CRI was based on. I don't know if that article dropped out info or you were just mocking Fred because you don't understand what CRI does. No, actually, um, here's the deal, Matt. Um, the reason I criticized it is because – it's really bad advice and stupid to say to you know, people, uh, hey, you Christians, we want you to go without your Bibles for a week. Okay, I'm sorry. This, the sad state of affairs here in the Christian church in America, we don't need people running around saying don't have your Bibles. We need people t- telling people to read their Bibles. And so my comment and my attack at this point is the attack of the idea. It's not a good idea. It's a bad idea. People need to be reading their Bibles, not being told not to have them or to go without them. Now, I understand the purpose of the press release was to get people's attention because uh, the ministry of CRI, they want to they want to get Bibles into the hands of people in these other nations that don't have them. I get that. The problem is, is that it, it the mean, the ends do not justify the means, period. Okay. Now, it's one thing if you want to raise awareness of the fact that the average amount of Bibles that, that are owned by people in the United States is nine, and you're encouraging them to take their dusty Bibles that they're not using and send them off to uh, Fred's ministry so that they can get them, out, get them into the hands of people in these nations who do not have them. I, that, hey, raising awareness, all for it. But this is not an appropriate way to do that. You don't tell people to go without their Bibles or not to read them. That's ridiculous. Okay. So, um, you know, I understand that, you know, that Fred's trying to, you know, is really doing his best to raise awareness of this problem so that people in third world nations can get it. Again, the ends don't justify the means. So um, I think the idea is bad. I think it's stupid. 
and I stand by my uh, assessment. Okay. Nathan writes. All right, and then this is a this is an interesting one. He says, "Chris, I have a question for you. You often talk on your show about how we serve God and others by working in whatever profession God has put us in, be it a janitor, a lawyer, office worker, etc. Well, I work in a Christian bookstore, and I wonder and I often wonder if I am serving God and others by working in that place. I know that the immediate reaction is, well, of course you are, silly. How could you not see that you're serving God by working in a Christian organization? Well, actually, I wouldn't put it that way. Okay. It, yes, you're serving God in your work, regardless of whether or not it's a, quote, Christian organization or not. You have to understand, Christian bookstores are businesses. They're not ministries. Okay. That helps out a lot if you can kind of get that through your head. And I know that people will go, well, wait a second. Think it through. Okay. A, a bookstore. Their job is to sell books and make a profit. Okay, a Christian bookstore is focusing in on a niche market, trying to reach Christians with Christian titles. That doesn't make them a ministry, though. That makes them still a business. They're a business with a niche market. So, um, you know, just let me tweak that for you. But please hear me out. I certainly do get opportunities to serve God in that place. When someone comes in asking for a good book on a certain topic, say prayer or whatever, I get to direct them to the good books and steer them away from the rubbish ones. It's very fulfilling. So he's being subversive with the gospel there. Okay, good. Just a few weeks ago, I got my uh, I got to help the Reformed churches in Western Australia choose and take out a bunch of our books to sell at a Reformation Day rally that they were organizing, which made uh, my little Reformed Baptist heart leap for joy inside of me. My favorite story, though, is last year a woman came in in very distressed after her pastor had been telling the congregation that unless they tithe at least ten percent every week, they were going to go to hell. Whoa. Law. Yeah, tithing done through the law. Guilt trip. Yeah, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. All right, and she was looking for information to see if that was uh, true or not. We were able to share with her the real gospel and then gave her a free copy of Spurgeon's All of Grace. She sat down in the cafe and had a good read. There is a cafe attached to the store that's uh, that's staffed entirely by attractive young Christian girls. It's a bonus. Well. <laughs> Who would want to quit their job? You know, but that's the case. Okay, he says, then came, uh, then came and asked for another copy. So, yes, there have been some good moments, but. You see, there's that word. Okay, so, but is a, is a uh, verbal eraser. He says, I am serving, am I serving God when someone comes in and asks for T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen's latest book to give to a newly converted friend of theirs? If I said new Christian, uh, if, if said new Christian uh, read said books and has their spiritual lives destroyed by it, I cannot help uh, but feel that I'm partly responsible. Am I serving God by building a display of some books that I know is, is just rubbish, but sells very well. So it gets its own predominant display. And he goes, <coughs> cough, <coughs> the shack, <coughs> cough. Okay. Am I serving God by selling people praise ponies? Are, are God's girls Barbie dolls? Actually, those are Bratz dolls, not Barbie dolls. I feel sick just looking at them. The dolls, not the people. <laughs> that, that's, I'm glad he distinguished that. He says, a more succinct way of putting this whole email would be, am I serving God by selling people junk that I know will be potentially very harmful to their Christian life? I, I am only a customer service lackey, so I have no say in what gets stocked and obviously can't tell customers that the books they have chosen is rubbish, so there's, there isn't really... That much that I can do, but I have seriously for the uh, last few months considered resigning just because I don't know how much longer I can take being even partly responsible for another person's spiritual downfall. 
This is a thorny issue. Okay. Really, really, really thorny issue. Let me let me answer first anecdotally, and then we'll uh, look at a Bible passage. Anecdotally, uh, I've actually I was the assistant manager of uh, a B. Dalton bookseller when I was in college. Okay, so back when I was young, good looking, skinny. Um, in other words, n- none of you would recognize me. Um, you know, I worked in a B. Dalton bookstore in the South Coast Plaza. And I was a customer service lackey there, and then I became an assistant manager of uh, B. Dalton at the Westminster Mall here in uh, in Orange County. Now, people would come in, and they would say, I'm looking for a book on the New Age. I'm looking for something written by Cahill Gibran. I'm looking for something written by Shirley McKinney. I'm looking for something like this, or I'm looking for something like that. And I was a good Christian boy, right? What did I do? I would say, Cahill Gibran is over in this section right over here, and you can find Shirley McLean right over there. Why? That was my job. My job wasn't to confront them and say, did you know that if you read Shirley McLean and you believe this garbage, you're going to go to hell? <laughs> uh, so this, the question is, am I morally cul- culpable for that? You know, if someone comes in looking for a, for a book, you know, was I morally culpable for pointing it out? Well, No. All I'm doing is telling them where it was. They already had their mind made up that that's what they were going to be doing. Okay? So um, in the, in those particular cases, I never really felt any guilt. But I always would look for opportunities, if if and when I could, to talk to a customer, speak with a customer, get their ideas, you know, things like that. And I had some really good experiences where I had opportunities to uh, talk about Christianity. I was completely worthless as far as my knowledge of Christianity at the time. But... Um, you know, the, the topics got brought up. So is there, is there a way that you are morally culpable? Um, if a person knows ahead of time what it is that they want and you're just showing them where it is, no, you're not. But, you know, then again, the question comes down to what, you know, what's, there's a bigger issue going on here and that has to do with the issue of conscience. And so what I want to do is take a look at Romans chapter 14. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a break first, and when we come back from the break, we're going to uh, look at Romans chapter 14 and see what it has to say about these delicate types of situations that Christians find themselves in, really, yeah, uh, issues of conscience and issues of faith. So stay tuned. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard so far, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And we will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's... 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. They don't know they're dead in their sins. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. My job. Dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment designed to help you to decide whether or not what you're hearing out there in the name of Christianity and popular religion is really truly biblical Christianity or if it's, um, well, you know, uh, something else. Um <laughs> Because uh, that's what's going on nowadays. We got stuff that's, uh, well, uh, something else. So um, just want to remind you all, Pirate Christian Radio is a listener-supported radio network. And uh, your financial support is needed for the continuation and expansion of this important outreach. And um, if you would like to partner with us, you want to support uh, Fighting for the Faith, you do so by supporting Pirate Christian Radio. Our mailing address is Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. All right, we're in the middle of uh, answering an email for Nathan, who is who works in a Christian bookstore, and he's got um, some guilt going on because he, he just can't stand the stuff that's being sold in the Christian bookstore. And it's getting to the point where he's uh, concerned that he's contributing to somebody's spiritual downfall. So um, actually it's Romans 14. I I think I said 16 before I want to read a passage of scripture that kind of touches on these types of issues. And, um, and the kicker is at the end of the chapter. Um, 
in uh, verse 23, but I want to read it in context so we know what's going on here. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay? The weak person eats uh, only vegetables. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and will be upheld uh, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we're talking about here about issues that Christians ha- can freely disagree on. Okay, In this particular case, it's talking about you know what you eat. He says one person esteems one, or, and he's, we're going to talk about other things here. One person esteems one day as better another, and uh, then another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we die, uh, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now this is, at this point, you know, watch how this is playing in. You know, to not put a stumbling block or in the way of another. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is clean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the other for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everyone, Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have kept, uh, that you have, keep between yourself and God. And blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not done from faith. But whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, now... This is where it gets touchy for Nathan. Nathan, here's the deal. Okay. When you're, it, it's one thing, you're a customer service lackey. You don't decide uh, what what happens in that bookstore. You don't decide what gets sh- uh, put on the shelves. You don't decide what displays get put up. You don't decide any of that stuff. Okay. And when you're told to put up a display for the shack, then you go and you put up a display for the shack. If you're told, you know, if someone comes in asking for a book that you know is spiritual poison, you point them to where the book is. Are you morally culpable? That's the question. Well, this is where 
your doubts come into play. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is where it gets testy. Okay, if you're having, if you're feeling guilt and conscience-ridden about what's happening and cannot, in good faith, continue in your job because of you, you are feeling that you are contributing somehow to people's going to hell. You're no longer working in a way that's working from faith. You're having serious doubts. You really need at this point to reconsider what you're doing because you can't continue to work in a place where morally and ethically you don't feel like you can continue to be there in good conscience. I know that requires you to do something scary, especially during hard economic times, and that's considered getting a different job. But because of the fact that you already are having doubts, you already are feeling guilty, already feeling like this is a this is that you're contributing to people's spiritual downfall. I don't see how you can continue in that situation with that, with that as your feeling. Whatever is not proceeding from faith at this point is really working against you. So, um, you know, I think that's what the scriptures bear out, and so that's my answer to the question. Not an easy one. Not an easy one at all. I can't. I can't get all the emails today. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to get back to be able to do all the emails. It, it's just not possible anymore. Anyway, um, what I'm going to do right now is we're going to play some audio from a video, and we're going to spend some time in the scriptures, uh, basically uh, looking at. There's a, there's a lot of different ways we can do this, but um, this is from the Total Blasphemy Network, otherwise known as TBN. Um, boy, you know, we, I drive by there on a regular basis. You know, they're right over by the South Coast Plaza off, off the 405 here in Orange County. And, um, Ugl- ugliest building in Orange County. Ugliest. Absolutely the gaudiest. Christmas lights up year round. Yeah, that's right. They do have Christmas lights up all year round. And, uh, from just from looking inside of the studios there, it looks like Elvis vomited on the inside. It's just... It is absolutely ugly, gaudy, gross, disgusting, and and the Holy Trinity, I'm sure, has nothing to do with that network whatsoever. Oh, man, that's just terrible. Anyway, they, they this is video from their annual um, Fleece-a-thon, and I want you to hear this guy, Clarence E. McClendon, and the things that he's saying, and we're going to actually use this as a springboard into a discussion on what the Bible says about the gift of tongues, its practice, and its um, abuse. And this is really well documented in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. So here's uh, Clarence E. McClendon on uh, the Total Blasphemy Network. Will you declare your neighbor by the hand and tell him the atmosphere around you is about to change? And something supernatural is going to happen for you. But you got to move under this prophetic word. So now if you're watching me uh, by television, I would get a phone in one hand and a Bible in the other because these things are going to be jammed in about 20 minutes and you're going to want to get in on this. Get, get in on it? Send in the, you want to get in on you, you Get in on something by sending in money. Does this seem backwards to you? All right, we continue. Grab your neighbor's hand and tell him, I have chosen not to participate in the coming recession. Oh, there we go. Just, I have chosen not to participate in the coming recession. Really? 
What if your boss decides that you're going to? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, all you have to do is say that and believe it. If you have enough faith, then you're you're financially set. You're on easy street through the re- coming recession. Tell them I have chosen not to be a part of the economic downturn. Look at your neighbors. Like, this ain't even going to affect me. He's having everyone repeat after him. You, you, what do you, st- you know, a Christian practice would be open your Bibles and let's read together. You read a passage of scripture together or, you know, you recite the creed. But now this guy has people reciting, you know, the, you know, I refuse to participate in the coming recession and it's not even going to affect me. And people are re- re- repeating after him. <sighs> no, this is called a royal fleecing. You know, this... There's one guy who has a website out there called pulpitpimps.com. I think that's a good term here. Watch me now. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Now, this is why it is important in an hour like this that you are hearing the word of... Oh, man. Jan Crouch's hair. What is... Is that even a color? Oh, my goodness. It's purple-pink combo. It's it's pep... Her, her hair is Pepto-Bismol colored. That you are connected to men and women of God that are not preaching reservation knowledge, but revelation knowledge. Men and women who are hearing the word at God's mouth and declaring it. Why? Because when you get locked in to a real man or woman of God. When you get locked into a real man or woman of God. (laughs) Get locked into a real man or woman. What does that mean? You know, I bet you donations would increase if I started shouting and carrying on like this and promising people stuff like that. I'd go to hell, but man, we'd get all kinds of money around here. Sheesh. They'll be able to tell you where the enemy is coming. I am telling you that God is bringing an era again into the house of God where the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Her eyebrows, Jan Crouch's eyebrows match her head. And that is that is not an earthly color. Wow, that is platinum Pepto Bismol. That that is exactly what that is. That's the best way I can describe it. And her eyebrows match. You have got to be kidding me. Will so move amongst the saints that God will give information to the children of God as to how to prosper, how to win, how to overcome, even in times of drought and famine. Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Look at somebody say, I'm connected, baby, I'm connected. This is why in an hour like this you need to get plugged in. Don't you let anybody turn you away from your man of God. Don't you let anybody turn you away from your woman of God. Don't you let anybody drive you out of the house of God where you've been being fed the word of God. Don't you let anybody talk you out of giving. Talk you- we need to bring an organ in here. So I, you know, I, every time I make a point, you out of sewing, talk you out of doing what you know to do. Somebody listen to me. Was it a Hammond uh, B3? Is that what that is? Yes. Okay. I I think I, I had heard of that before. So we need a Hammond in here. Good rock and roll organ. Right on. You know. Not everybody's packing what I'm packing. Look at your listen. Not everybody's got what I got. Not everybody's flowing in what I'm flowing in. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the fact that not everyone's flowing in what you're flowing in because he's not flowing in anything biblical. Bovine scatology comes to mind. Wouldn't want to be flowing in that. So the Bible says, The Bible says, 
Now, this is the speaking in tongues part. Okay, this guy just slipped into, apparently, this is a full-blown display of the gift of tongues in the Holy Spirit, right? This this proves that God's working on this guy, right? Well, let's continue. You're breaking forth here. Put your hand on somebody just a minute. Say, God, open her eyes. Open her eyes. Tell them, God, oh, oh, God, open his eyes. Open his eyes. Let him see. Let him see there's more with him than against him. I feel my pulse quickening here, you know. My heart yeah. Let him see there's a breakthrough right around the corner. Let her see it's coming just like you said. Go. I don't know what he's saying at this point, but he sure is saying it with passion. Yeah. I guess that's all that matters, right? Forget the truth part. Just say it with passion. The foul, my God. The church is not lying down. We're coming forward. You can assault our prophets. You can call congressional hearings. We are still moving forward because the wealth of the wicked is coming into the hands of the righteous. Well, that would leave you out. Don't, 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 don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Sit down. Don't be fooled. You cannot strike God's anointed and prosper. Ah, okay, don't, well, I guess that's the reason why we're not prospering, because, you know, he's God's anointed, and we're striking him. You cannot call his prophets and priests in to question them, because they got planes, trains, and automobiles. Baby, I was poor without a vow. I didn't have to take a vow to be poor. I was broke all by myself. But when I met Jesus and got on this word, I took a vow of prosperity. Of, <laughs> that of, of a vow of prosperity. Prosperity. <sighs> that, Where's that at? I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that passage, oh. John. You know, I was going to look that one up. Yeah, it's, underline it. It's it's uh, in the Book of Jan. Oh, the Book Jan. of Jan. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that one's at. Yeah, you have to actually send in seed money to get that oh. book. Okay, oh. we continue. From right now, God is going to turn this thing around, and you're going to be able to do what you need to do and have what you need to have. I don't know who I came here for, but God told me to prophesy to somebody. Oh, God told him. God told him to prophesy. And what evidence do we have so far that God has anything to do with this guy? Uh, none. None. So far, none. And tell him in 24 hours, there's going to be a turnaround in your situation. Uh, it doesn't Miss Chloe, you know that uh, television psychic who used to be on, you know, in the middle of the night, doesn't she offer the same kind of advice as this? Yes, I think. Yes. Yeah, I've heard her do that. And she's got that little Creole accent thing going on. More, more class than this guy. <sighs> the likes of which are going to make some people scratch their head. For some of you, it's going to be 20. You need to go to the phone right now. I'm preaching to people and you need to... There are people high-fiving themselves in the audience here. I've never been to church and been high-fived before. You know, I have shake... You know, in the gift service at our church, I mean, they when they do the peace, people actually walk around and shake each other's hands. You know, peace of the Lord be with you or, you know, God's peace. I've never seen anyone high-fiving another person. Hey, God's peace, you know. <laughs> Give me the high-five of Jesus. Turn around in a situation. I am standing here with the word of God in my mouth telling you. With the word of God in his mouth. Have you heard God's word yet? No. 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 Apparently, maybe he's not getting it out. Maybe it's stuck. That God said he's going to turn it around if you will believe him. 
Is that MC Hammer? There's a guy on the stage over by Jan Crouch who looks like MC Hammer. If you listen to me right, right there, that's MC Hammer. The phone right now, they're going to be locked up in about 20. Is MC Hammer a, a, a televangelist now? Dun, 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 dun. Can't touch this. Dun. You're not going to be able to get through. Now watch me. See, some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Don't you understand that? Yeah, yeah, uh, there's good reason for that. God has given you his word so that you can prophesy your own future. What? <laughs> Man, this guy's a laugh a minute. I came to tell somebody it's going to turn around in 24 hours. You're going to get a call from somebody. We changed our mind. We don't know what happened. We thought it was there. Yeah, that's MC Hammer. That looks just like MC Hammer. Right there. You see that? Could be. Yeah, all right. Watch it. I got I to gotta finish this. If you All right, there it is. There, there's that tongue sing again. You must have learned from Paula White. Okay. Go to the phone. All right. Okay. Wow. Four minutes and 39 seconds there. I thought my eyebrows were going to fry off. Okay. Um, who, who is interpreting for him? That's kind of the issue. Who is interpreting for him? Now, folks, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to take a, a mean swipe at Pentecostals. Okay. That's really not the, the goal here. Um, instead, I just want to ask the question, is this practice that we've been listening to of right in the middle of whatever, just start blurting off and babbling in tongues, is that biblical? Does God's word teach us to do that or does it teach us to not do that? Okay. Now, remember, God's word is supreme. It's, it's, it's the final authority. So if you're doing something that God's word says not to do, um, God's word is right, and you be wrong, period. I don't care if the person that told you to do something is you think is a holy person or a man of God or a woman of God or whatever. No one has a right to tell you to practice something that's contrary to Scripture. Okay? God's word is true. Men are liars. All right, so I'm reading from 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, that's important. Okay, so God gives gifts and different manifestations of the spirit for the common good. Okay, Uh, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay. So just reading these uh, few verses right now, I would say, wow, okay, there's a lot of different kinds of gifts. The Holy Spirit gives them, and he gives them according to his will, not mine. Okay? So, all right, so there we are, just kind of starting off. And the purpose of these gifts is really for the common good. And we're going to find out it's for the building up of the church. But, all right, we continue. Verse 12, for just as the body is one 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it would that that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So basically, we don't have an entire body made up of only feet. We've got hands and feet and fingers and eyes and ears and noses. Okay, as it were, there are many parts, yet one body. So this sounds to me like um, God is celebrating diversity. Not only is he celebrating it, he's the one through his will that's giving it. Right? So there's a diversity of gifts willed by and given out by God the Holy Spirit plain and simple. Now, the eye cannot say to the hand, if I, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that, it, that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers, miracle workers? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now, I want to point something out here. There, in the Greek, okay, that, that, the answer to the question is actually in the Greek, by the way. I don't know if you know that. It doesn't come through in the English, but it's there in the Greek. Okay? Each of these questions is followed by a little Greek untranslatable particle, and the word is may. Okay? The Greek word may, in this context answers the question, and it's untranslatable. It basically means that the answer to the question is to be understood as negative. No. Okay? So, there in the Greek, it asks, are all apostles? Okay? Me pantas apostoloi. No. Are all prophets? Pantas prophetai. Me. No. Okay? The Greek particle there indicates that each of these questions is to be understood as the answer being no. Now, funny thing, when I was working at Focus on the Family, there was a well-meaning gal who was a Pentecostal who worked in my department, and she 
wanted me to have the gift of tongues like nobody's business. Okay. And she told me that the gift of tongues is for everybody. All Christians can have it. You just have to ask God for the gift and you have to really believe and have faith that if you're going to ask for it, that God, the Holy Spirit's going to give it to you. And, and she, you know, you know, she was putting all kinds of pressure on me and I took her to this passage. We sat down in the lunchroom at focus on the family Bible's open. And I took her to this passage and I said, you know what? You're wrong. God's word does not say that all Christians have the gift of tongues. And the conversation went something like this. I said, I actually showed her from my Greek New Testament at the time because I was a first year Greek student. I had it. And I, t- I t- showed her the B- Greek particle. I had my lexicon with me, opened it up and showed her that it was an untranslatable particle that meant no. And then we went through, we started going through the questions. I sa- and I asked her, I said, are all apostles? And she would go, no. Are all, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Yes. <laughs> I kid you not. That's exactly what, And I said, but that's not what the text says. She said, well, that's not what I believe. Oh, my. Yeah. So, first of all, let's get this out in the open. Scripture is really clear. The gift of tongues isn't for everybody in the church. It's not. Okay? It's right there, black and white, in the Greek text. Do all speak with tongues? No. They don't. So, um, you know, just want to handle this this topic biblically. And the way we're, you know, the, that's what we're doing. We're starting off by asking these questions. All right. So we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, we're going to continue in First Corinthians talking about the gift of tongues. And what does the Bible say about it? And is this uh, guy that we just heard on the, the Total Blasphemy Network <laughs> practicing the gift of tongues in accordance with the regulations and limitations laid out in God's Word. So um, if you would like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials 
that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the Whitehorse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at newreformationpress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Listen to Fighting for the Faith. Now, during the break, John... No, folks, I've told you this. John is like a baseball... Fanatic doesn't even... Cut, right, that's... No. No, it doesn't even come close. Now, right, you know, where, you know, Rex Quando has Bible pants. John, you've got baseball pants. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 John, you were just real quick. You were saying that uh, that this this whole spiritual gifts thing. You said God is like a, a manager of a baseball team. That's right. How so? Well, the manager decides where you're going to play. Okay. So you can't just say I'm going to play third base. You, the whole team might want to play there. Right now, if everyone played third base, would there be a pitcher? There'd be no pitcher. Okay, or if um, we all pitched, there'd be no one to field. The, right. So it, it, baseball would just be not nearly as interesting as it is if everyone wanted to play pitcher or first base or third base, and you'd lose every game too. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be Bugs Bunny. Right now, you have to do what the manager says. So in this case, God's the manager, and That's He's right. telling us what positions we're going to play. His choice. Okay, and not everyone speaks in tongues, apparently. So Who's on first? <laughs> <laughs> who's on first, yeah. I thought, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. I don't know who's on third. Got third it. Base. Third base. Third base, that's right. I'm going to mess that up. Okay. All right, so we're, we're back in Scripture. You know, just so you know, for a little bit of context here, we're commenting on um, Clarence E. McClendon who recently appeared on the, the uh, Total Blasphemy Network's uh, annual Fleece-a-thon. And, um, and he's broke out speaking in tongues. Let's, let's see if I can get this. Somebody is going to turn around in 24 hours. You're going to get a call from somebody. We changed our mind. We don't know what happened. We thought it was that. No, 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 watch me. Watch me. I got, I got to finish this. If you yeah, I have no idea what he just said there. Yeah. she drove a Hyundai. I you know, I don't know. Okay, so we're take just biblically looking at this. All right. So we've already established quite quite clearly in the in the in the biblical passage in First Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul asks the question, are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. 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 The text says no. And that's what it says in the Greek. And if you don't believe me, go get your own Greek scholar and ask him to translate that verse for you. I think people have had the wool pulled over their okay. eyes in this fleece event. Right. 
So then we get into Roman First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen, which is the big love passage, right? The bu- the big love passage comes up in the context about speaking about the abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now I know people like re- having this passage read at their weddings and stuff like that, and I you know I've gotten to the point where if I attend a wedding and somebody has this passage read there, I almost want to snicker. You know, it's like, do you know the fuller context of what that passage appears in? But we continue. So Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and the and all knowledge, and if I and if I uh, have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love. I'm nothing. So what is he doing here? He's referring back to these lists, this list of the different gifts that God gives for the common good within the Christian church, within the body of Christ. And he's, he's admonishing us to use these gifts in love. Why? The Corinthian church was a crazy place. <laughs> they were getting it all wrong. They were, they were getting drunk at communion. You had a guy sleeping with his, uh, his father's wife, uh, you know, you had them abusing the, the the spiritual gifts. I mean, this. Do you really want to go back to the first century Christianity? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, you know, good news is the first century Christians had it just as messed up and messy as we did. All right. So, so Paul here in talking about love is talking about utilizing these gifts in love. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irrational, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that's Christ, when he comes, okay? When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the context there in 1 Corinthians 13, in talking about love, is the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, and I don't know if a lot of people have ever connected that. So here's what Paul says, 14 now. Pursue love. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, folks, when you when you think of prophesying, a lot of people think that that has to do with like telling the future. You know, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says this, that tomorrow you will actually walk outside, trip on the street corner and hit and a bus will flatten you as flat as a pancake unless you repent, (laughs) you know. That's a very, very narrow understanding of prophecy. Prophecy really has to do with forth telling God's word. Okay, prophecy occurs in a pulpit. Your pastor's acting prophetically. Okay, uh, prophecy occurs when a Sunday school teacher opens up God's word and tells you, forth tells what God has done. That's prof- That's prophetic. Okay. Okay, we continue. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. 
Okay. Here we go again with this. Now we're on the subject of tongues. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. <laughs> but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and, and consolation. Okay, so the guy speaking in tongues, nobody knows what he's talking about. The guy who prophesies, forth tells the word of God, is building people up, encouraging them and, and consoling them, right? The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who uh, prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church might be built up. Okay? So here we've got Paul basically saying, you know, hey, this tongues thing, it ain't helping nobody out here. And the purpose of the gifts is to upbuild the body, right? Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And the answer to the question is, well, then you wouldn't. You know, if, if uh, Paul's arguments is is very valid. If folks, if I were to come to the microphone, you know, tomorrow or tomorrow Saturday, Monday, if I were to come to the the microphone on Monday and go, yeah, you'd all we, pretty much turn me off within ten fifteen seconds. All the uh, people to come take you. Yeah, away. they're coming to take me away. Ha ha! They're coming to take me away. All right, <laughs> so. <clears throat> So now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? <laughs> and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, you're, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said for you will be speaking into the air there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning but if i do not know the meaning of the language i will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me so with yourself so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church now so far uh, we'll take a little poll here between uh, John and Josh. Um, do you think Paul, uh, Paul is making an argument that everyone should have tongues? Um, no. No. No? You think he, he – is he really basically kind of downplaying it and, and saying you should really seek something different? Big time. Yeah. That's how I read it too. Okay. So we continue. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirteen. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I, I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Okay. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
Huh. That's interesting. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me. I think I got that backwards. Thus, the tongues are assigned for. Okay. Thus, tongues are not are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers. Okay. Read. Okay. I'm getting tongue tied talking about tongues. <laughs> tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers. But for believers, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? (laughs) But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all he is by all. He is called to an account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling Uh, And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three and each in turn and then let someone interpret But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself in God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. So according to scripture, if you have the gift of tongues in a church service, they are to only speak one at a time, two or three at the most, and only if there is someone there to interpret. If there's no one there to interpret, you don't get to speak in church. Is that how you read that, John? Yeah. Okay. All right. So it has an order to it. It has an order to it. Now, this is really interesting. Okay. Is that Paul, notice he doesn't attack the spirit. He doesn't attack the gifts. Okay. He puts order to them. Okay. And by the time Clement of Rome writes his epistle to the the Corinthian church, these these problems were completely cleared up and gone. Okay? They didn't have this wasn't a persistent problem. So apparently they got the message loud and clear. Now why is it that in a, in today's Pentecostalism that they are outright defying these instructions clearly given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul? I have no idea. This little display that we're seeing here on the uh, Total Blasphemy Network. Let me back this up again because, you know, it's just so entertaining. I came to tell somebody it's going to turn around in 24 hours. You're going to get a call from somebody. We changed our mind. We don't know what happened. We thought it was there. Now, 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 watch me. Watch me. I got, I got to finish this. If you... Yeah, okay, so there he is. He's blurting out in tongues, right? Mm-hmm. 
is this according to what the Holy Spirit has instructed how the gifts of the Spirit are to be utilized? Doesn't look like getting the manual. No, it doesn't look like that. At, oh, don't call it a manual. Oh, man. No, no, no. No, the scripture's, scripture's clear, okay? In church, no, not at all. Well, let me back this up. Maybe I can interpret this for you. Hold on a second here. Now, I don't really claim to have the gift of interpretation, but I, I feel something coming through because I'm feeling spiritual today after reading all of that from the ESV because I'm really pious because all really pious people like me read the ESV. Just want to let you know. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, I think I got an interpretation. Hang on. What happened? We thought it was that. Watch me. Watch me. I got. I got to finish this. If you. Okay, I got it. I got it. If you send money to TBN, God will hold you accountable and send you to hell. That's uh, that's what came through loud and clear to me. Didn't you hear it? Just say yeah. There's your interpretation. <sighs> Folks, yeah, we're making light of it, but this is serious, okay? I'm not saying that the the gifts of the Spirit have ended. I'm not saying that at all, okay? I am saying this, that these displays of the gift of tongues are completely done in rebellion to God's Word, what it has to say about it. And in the case of the TBN crowd... um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That should be one of the red flags to let you know these folks are not from God and they're not teaching you what God's word really says because they're outright disobedience and defiance to God's clear teaching regarding the gift of tongues. And those of you who've experienced pressure from people in the charismatic and Pentecostal movements saying that all Christians are to have the gift of tongues, that's not what God's word says at all. It's not true. Okay, and if you disagree with me, and I know that there's some of you out there that might take issue with what I've said. If you disagree with me, show me from God's word where all Christians have the gift of tongues. Or that practicing the gift of tongues in church without an interpreter, with everyone blathering on, is, is, is allowed in light of what we just read in 1 Corinthians 14. Mm-hmm. The biblical the biblical mandate regarding these gifts is it's go- if you're going to practice God's gifts in church, it's for the building up of the body. And no one's being built up when nobody can understand what anybody's saying. Yeah. Okay? So, there we go. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I, I know uh, that we're going to get some... Uh, yeah, we will get some nasty grams on that. And that's okay. It, we, nasty grams, all right. That means that we're getting a dialogue going. That means that somebody's listening. They may not like what I'm saying, um, but that's okay, too. Uh, you know, At this point, if they're going to take issue with it, then they've got to understand that they're taking issue with the fact that um, what I said really wasn't my opinion. I just read you what God's Word said. So don't kill the messenger. Take it up with God. Okay. Now, for the balance of the program, for the balance of the program, we're actually going to listen to part of Ed Young's sermon. Now, I remember last week, Ed Young made the news across the nation because he had come up with the seven-day sex challenge. And he was appearing on news stations going, and get this, that's right, I'm a pastor and I want my people to have <gasps> sex. And I'm, 
Anyway, so now, folks, after all of that media attention, my question is, uh, after all that media attention and all, you know, there was probably a bunch of people who came to his church for the first time, got to get some sex, right? Um, What was the sermon that he preached? Well, we're going to listen to a few minutes of it, and uh, you'll get a flavor for, you know, hey, if you showed up at his church because of all this media attention, this is what you got. So here we go. This is from his Ed Young's Creative Pastors blog. Um, The Creative Pastors podcast featuring Ed Young. Creative Pastors is where you'll find fellowship. Creative Pastors. How about Faithful Pastors? Hi, you're listening to the Faithful Pastors podcast. No one would listen to it, right? We don't need those. We want the creative kind. Church resources, including transcript downloads, video materials, books, leadership tools, and more. Now, join us for a message from Ed. Their victorious conquering king comes riding in. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Standing O for Ed Young. Because, you know, he went out and got all this media attention. He's so brave. He's... You know, it's incredible to uh, see what happens when you connect God with sex, isn't it? (sighs) Oh, Ed. The media attention, you just talk about sex and God or the church and sex and people freak like it's uncommon, unusual, weird, out of the ordinary... No, Ed, the problem is, is that nowhere in Scripture do we see such an emphasis on sex. Okay? Yes, we know God created us male and female. Shock, gasp. You know, how did we get here? Yes, I know my parents did it, okay? And I know that God created us. That's not the issue. The issue is is that as a pastor, you're actually supposed to be reading God's Word and teaching us God's Word and building up the body. And instead, you're out there being creative and engaging in really dumb marketing stunts. I love how the CNN lady just ate him, all, ate him alive. It was really beautiful. Very edgy. It shouldn't be because, as we know, our God created sex. It was his idea. He gave sex to us before sin ever entered the human equation. So it's sort of funny, hilarious, ironic that... Everyone is like, wow, you're talking about this sex experiment? You're talking about married couples having sexual intercourse for seven days? This is, this is crazy. No, it's just really stupid. It, crazy in the sense that, hey, pastor, why don't you actually just start preaching through books? You know, quit with the sex experiment stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Read God's word in context and read through it. And when you get to the passages of scripture that actually talk about sex, do us all a favor and don't send out a press release. Just preach the word. Oh, wow. I've looked ahead here. And next week, you know, I'm going to be in. Well, look at this. I'm going to be in a section of the Song of Solomon. We better send out a press release and let everybody know that we're going to be talking about sex. Well, over the last several centuries, here's what the church has said about sex. I thought the church didn't say anything about sex until you had the sex challenge, Ed. 
I mean, isn't that it? It's just such a big, horrible, it's this terribly shocking thing that a pastor would talk about sex. Oh, I see. They said nothing. That's a lie, by the way. The church has been talking about sex from the beginning. Not much. Lie. Absolute lie. Any pastor who's preaching through God's word tackles and talks about sex on a regular basis because the Bible does too. Not very much. We've allowed our culture to hijack sex from us. Lie again too. No, they haven't. Yet here at Fellowship Church, we're changing all of that because... No, you're copying everybody else. For heaven's sakes, Granger had their pure sex sermon series that everybody bought off of their website and did all over the place. They were putting up billboards with the two feet that were together, you know, the two up and two down under the covers. Ed, no. God, from cover to cover, talks about sex. Really? If God talks about sex from cover to cover, then if you were to read, just read your Bible and teach it from cover to cover, then the topic would get brought up, right? Apparently, according to you, no one talks about it. How is that? The only way that's possible is if no one's actually reading the Bible, Ed. For example, he made love, he invented love, Thus, those of us who are true believers can really make love. Have you ever thought about that? We're the same. Where does it say that in Scripture? Where? I mean, that's all logical what you just said, but is there a clear word from God on that? Experts. Because we know the author of sex. Sex is for the marriage bed. The Scriptures say the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, it's a place of protection, a place of freedom. I thought that was where my happy spot was for. Go to my happy place. I know there's some here in an audience this size and, and, and you have, you have moved the stanchion. You're like, you know what? I'm going to do sex my way. I'm going to go for it. And you've gone for it and you've slept in this bed or that bed, or maybe you're hooked into. Ed, we call that Well, let's see. If you're married, that's called adultery. If you're not married, it's called fornication. You know, I remember growing up when I was in the Nazarene church in my Nazarene youth group. Man, adultery and fornication were constantly talked about by my youth pastor. I I bet you we can probably even go back to a sermon from H.B. London when he was pastor of Pasadena Nazarene. I'll bet you anything. We can pull the tapes out and we could hear H.P. London saying the words sex, adultery, and fornication. Because believe me, that was his favorite topic for the Nazarenes. But, you know, apparently for the past few centuries, the church hasn't been talking about sex at all. That's why we have to take it back. Well, what he's describing here is this good old grassroots sexual immorality. You know what's funny is the issues, etc. Guys, I mean, they talk about sex. On, they have entire show segments on the sex, on sexual immorality and sex problems and stuff like that. I don't see them sending out press releases. We're going to be talking about sex on issues, etc. Did I, 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 man, I missed an opportunity here. I should have sent out a press release to let everybody know that I was going to be talking about sex on fighting for the faith. Because I'm taking it back. It's ridiculous. Porn, maybe you're living in Las Vegas and Las Vegas is... 
what is with these stupid little phrases that he's putting together? Sex experiment, sex spurts, lust, Vegas. Uh, Ed, are you trying to treat people like a bunch of three-year-olds? Living in you, and in this search for freedom, you find yourself strangely incarcerated. You find yourself enslaved to sexual sin. True sexual freedom, we're going to find out, occurs within the guidelines and guardrails within the stanchions of God's directives. Okay, I'll give him that argument right on. Okay, so he's going to give us God's laws and directives regarding sex. God has a lot to say about it. Is the gospel going to get brought up? Probably not. Hasn't so far. The Bible's barely been brought up at all. Here is where we have freedom. Here is true liberation. Here is true creativity. Here is true... Are you ready for this? Worship. What? Mm -hmm. Uh, When did sex become worship? Uh, This sounds like that flirty fishing thing. Remember that that one group? They they were... uh, their women were going out and selling themselves on the street and then whispering Bible verses into the guy's, the, 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 the client's ears. Bait and switch. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Did you realize when a husband and wife make love, it's an act of worship? Uh, boy. Can you give me a biblical t- uh, chapter and verse on that one, Ed? Really? Did, did, did you realize that when you fulfill your spouse's desire, it's a part of your discipleship? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh my. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was really, that's code talk for go and do it. <laughs> This words have no meaning anymore. Sex is now an act of worship, and uh, fulfilling your spouse's desires is a form of discipleship. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll never be able to read Matthew twenty-eight again, you know, without snickering. Go and make disciples. <laughs> yeah, I know what that means. He said disciples. He said disciple. <laughs> That that might give a whole new twist, a whole new meaning to making love. Honey, let's go home and worship. Oh, my gosh. How is it that 20,000 people attend this church? You know what's funny is, is the way it really should be is that people like Paul Washer should have congregations that are so huge because he feeds people, you know, God's word, you know, Paul Washer, Jeff Noblet, you know, Pastor Swirla, guys who actually get the gospel. They should they should have these huge congregations. Okay, instead, it's guys like these that have the big congregations and it's the guys who preach the gospel who have very small congregations. (sighs) If folks, uh, you in attendance at Ed's uh, church. You ain't being fed God's word here, and there's some very questionable things that he's saying at this point. I feel like some discipleship. How about you? 
AOL just conducted a study. And this study had to do with 60,000 fathers. 79% of these fathers said that they want more sex. 60%. They are men. The only thing I could say to that is duh. Yeah. Of these guys said that they regularly view porn. And then 40% yeah. of these fathers now said their sexual advances are rejected at least once a week. Isn't that amazing? So those of us... Uh, you're basing your sermon on an AOL survey? Yeah, Greg, credible source. When did AOL surveys become the, norm. the thing that decides... Never mind. Who are Christians? Those of us who understand the, the gospel, we should be the sexperts. Why? Where does it say that in Scripture? You know, first of all, let's let's just get this out. Christians who are not married shouldn't be sexperts. Nope. Unless you want to be judged sexperts. Okay. Um, widows are no longer sexperts. Widowers are no longer sexperts. And there's just... And there's people who, for one, one reason or another, you know, life has the medical difficulties. And things like that just don't get to occur as you get older and you have problems. Are, 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 they, are we to be judging them and consider them to be less Christian because they're not worshiping and discipling the way Ed is defining it here, according to sex? And like I said on a previous program, sex really is the fruit of an intimate marriage. It's not the thing that causes an intimate marriage. It's a fruit of an intimate marriage. And it's possible to have a, a very intimate marriage even if you're not capable of having sex. We should be the ones who understand what it really means to make love. But to make love in marriage, you're going to have to make time for it. Uh, I've been married for a while. Lisa and I have four kids. and I Oh, he's exegeting his life here now. Oh, I've, I've discovered something. There's some bedroom barriers that you have to get over if you're going to have a wonderful sex life. Well, I guess that doesn't matter if the only thing you've told your people to do for the next seven days is do it. A bunch of Nike Christians, just do it. Again, uh, I'll say it from this stage. You know, we're talking about Las Vegas. I'll just put the cards on the table. Your sex life is a mirror, a reflection of the depth and the majesty of your marriage. Right, then why are you telling people to just do it? It doesn't make a bit of sense. All right, I agree with him. Okay, sure, it's a sign of you know what you you know of the depth of your marriage. Why would you then tell people to just have sex for seven days? Your sex life is a mirror of the majesty, the makeup, the depth of your marriage. You know, the deal is, it's not that we don't think about sex in marriage. You know, we, we think about it a lot, especially the men do. That's not the point. The point is we don't think deeply enough about it. 
So this, if I'm hearing this right, this is basically a big group therapy, group sex therapy session disguised as church. Sounds like. I just want to make sure I was hearing this right. You know, so I'm in a room with 20,000 people and, um, well, maybe, maybe they're not all there at one time. Maybe he has multiple services like Saddleback does. So I'm in a big room with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and we're experiencing group sex therapy together rather than actually learning God's word. And he's now redefined sex as an act of worship and redefined sex as discipleship without a clear word of God to, to make such claims. Yeah. Okay. And if we're not thinking right, we're not going to feel right. If we don't feel right, we're not going to act right. So today we're beginning this experiment. Seven days of sex. How to move from whining about the economy to whoopee. How do you do that? What does the economy have to do with sex? Is this some kind of economic happy pill? <laughs> Honey, I understand that I'm about to lose my job and I can't sleep at night because, you know, I don't know how we're going to be able to pay our bills. But good news is we can forget all of that and let's go make whoopee. I'm having a hard time connecting the logical dots here in this sermon. We're going to talk about sex. Now, when I say sex, I'm not talking about holding hands while you walk in the park. I'm not talking about giving your husband a back rub. I'm not talking about verbal intercourse or emotional intercourse. No, 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 no. I'm talking about sexual intercourse. I'll say it again. Sexual intercourse. Why is he doing it? Because he's racy. He's edgy. He's creative. Nobody else except for him for the past two millennia has ever dared from the pulpit. Actually, it's a stage to talk about uh, 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 sex. Look at how brave, how edgy, how cutting edge Ed Young is. He actually said sexual intercourse. Oh my God. You've got to be kidding me. If you have a problem with the church talking about sex, let me tell you something, brother. You've got a problem with God. No, uh, I have a problem with you taking sex and, and giving it such a high priority. I would, I'd be completely fine with you talking about sex if you were actually opening up God's word, pastor. Or should I call you life coach, Ed? I, I, we got to demote him. He's no longer pastor. He's life coach. I'll send him a letter. Dear Ed, from Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith on Pirate Christian Radio. You've been demoted. You are no longer allowed to be called a pastor. You are just a life coach. Please stop referring to yourself as a church. You ain't got a problem with me. You don't have a problem with someone else. You've got a problem with God. And I'll tell you something else, husbands and wives. If you're hearing no regularly, because, you know, in marriage... Usually one is more in the mood than the other, right? Yeah, and that kind of flips back and forth, doesn't it? You know, at least it doesn't, you know. I'm the only one, right? <laughs> People are like, I know, I know. This is a sermon. Uh, the masquerade. This can't be a sermon. This we, we've got to come up with a different. So this is basically. Yeah, I 
we should just call it group therapy. What do you do? What do you do when one is in the mood and one is not that much in the mood? What do you do when one is in the mood for love and the other's like, oh, I just don't feel it? Well, what you do is you go to a church where your pastor makes you have a seven-day sex challenge. That'll solve everything. What do you do? Those are some great questions. That's why, again, we're embarking on this sex experiment over the next seven days as we make love. And I'm talking about true love. No, you're not. You're just talking about doing it. I mean, the dogs in my neighborhood don't even need this advice to know how to do it. You know, I'm sorry, but some animalistic just doing it is not the same as sex. But let's talk about some barriers, because during this week of whoopee, we're going to have to deal with these barriers. Now, the first barrier that we all deal with, those of us who have kids... Have got to be children. I mean, I mean, kids. K I D S. I've written about this in a book, Kid CEO. Oh, so he's plugging his own book. He's not even reading about God's word here. He's just plugging his book. You know what kid stands for? Keeping intimacy at a distance successfully. <laughs> Where does it say that in the Bible? Kids. And if you don't believe me, just crank out a couple of kids, and it's amazing how they can keep you from sex. How do you do that? How do you? How do you well, how are these people with kids supposed to get past the kid barrier then during these next seven days, Ed? What do you do with the kids? Even when they become... Just stick them out in the yard. Kids, go play. Teenagers, you still have to deal with them. And you watch what's going to happen this week. This week... You're going to put them down, not when they're ready, but when you're ready. And you're going to tell your teenagers, hey, go to your room. It's 930. Stay in your room. Don't come downstairs. Don't get near our bed. Oh, you know what the kids are going to do? They're going to, all the teenagers with parents who are attending this are going to be going, oh, no. It's 930. I know what my parents are doing. <laughs> <laughs> bedroom i know and some of the students are like oh man you mean my mom and dad are gonna have sex every day for a week ah it's just gross i don't want to think about it yeah yeah same wavelength um ed uh, ed um why aren't you opening up the bible because I thought you said God has a lot to say about sex. Shouldn't you be in God's word showing people all the things that God says about sex? I mean, this is supposed to be a sermon, right? Yeah. Well, you better think about it because that's why you're here. If they hadn't have done it, you wouldn't be here. Oh, some profound truth again. Uh. Pearls of wisdom falling from the stage at Fellowship Church. But we got to talk about this, this stanchion. This is a bedroom blockade. See, on one hand, we have the freedom, the sexual liberty of sex in the marriage bed. This is where God wants us to practice it. But we've got to deal with kids. This next barrier, this next stanchion is career. I mean, a career is, is a blockade to sex because we give our best in the marketplace. 
the, the, the best offensive octane we have, the creativity, the ingenuity, we're into it, we're on point. We look the best, we dress the best, we're just striving to achieve. That can be a blockade to sex. No Bible so far. I mean, he just ever so briefly threw out kind of a sort of a verse about the marriage bed being holy, right? Sort of, kind of. Another blockade to sex has got to be this one. Commitments. So many of us, I mean, if we were totally honest with ourselves, we'd go, you know what? No, I just like being deceptive to myself. I like lying to myself. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. I'm overcommitted. I'm overstimulated. And everything is just over the top. It is not that we have a problem with commitment. I would argue we're just committed to the wrong things. I didn't say bad things, just the wrong things. And good, the good commitments can keep us from great, the great commitment. So, Oh, good to great. That's a, that's a business book I read when I was doing my MBA at Pepperdine. Nice little how he wove that in there. It's uh, not really weaving in the Bible, though. We're going to have to learn the art of saying, no, 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 no. Because when we say, no, 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 no. Is that from Caddyshack? Yes, it is. Okay, just checking. No, 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 no. About those commitments, guess what will happen? It'll open the door to love. We got to make time to make. So Rick Warren did the 40 days of love. It had nothing to do with sex. Ed's doing the seven days of sex and claiming... Make love. Say that with me. I like that. We got to make time to make love. Oh, so he's got people reciting along that we've got to make time to make love. What verse was that from? What book of the Bible was that from? This is the married only service. I hope so. Yeah. Now, right now, some singles are going like, Right, they should be, because if you were preaching God's word, then even the singles would be getting something out of the sermon. Uh, Singles. Again, sex is for the marriage bed. You're thinking, okay, what do I do for the next week? (laughs) I don't know, try eating something like chocolate cake for the next week. This is so wrong. It's just off. You know, if you actually read God's word in context, then everybody, kids, singles, adults, older people, they could actually be be built up in God's word. Huh. Some of the wives are like, hey, that's better than sex. I wouldn't... But we're going to take a long look at our commitments. This week, you watch and see what happens. These barriers will come down. The kids, the... Why? Why are they going to come down? Why are the barriers just going to automatically come down? Because you've told everyone to just do it. That's not enough. The career... You see, because when we know we're going to have some action at home, it is amazing. The creativity and the offensive octane that we sometimes waste, waste at work. It's amazing how we'll save that up. Oh, so, hey guys, good news. You'll learn how to pace yourself better because you're going to get some action when you get home. 
<laughs> for the bed. And then, and then the commitments. I mean, we're going to look at our commitments. It's going to be amazing how many times we say, no, 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 because do our thing, right? Just speaking of doing our thing, this is, this is funny. A couple of years ago, Lisa and I went on a trip with our kids and we decided to get two hotel rooms, one for us and the other for our four kids. And one of our twins at the time, I don't know, she was maybe 10. She, she looked at us and she goes, hey, mom, dad, I know why you have your own room. I go, really? Why, Landra? She goes, because you guys can do your thing. I said, you're right. That's why we got a separate room so we can do our thing. So it's a good thing. Any Bible here yet? Uh, no, no, no. All right. That our, Maybe he can email it to people. Our kids understand this and hear this message. So kids and career and commitments. And this, this last tension, this is a real one. Exhaustion. I'm tired. Where is that in the Bible? I'm so tired. I've just had one of those days. I'm just, I just, I just, I just can't. I really, really can't. Exhaustion is real. But here's what's so interesting. Let me, let me talk to the wives. I've seen and heard about wives who are like, oh, not tonight, honey. I'm just tired. And all of a sudden, the phone will ring, and it's your best friend. Hey, girl, how you doing? Oh, oh, it's unbelievable. Again, what does this have to do with God, Jesus Christ, the gospel, the Bible, Christianity, anything? That energy come from... So it's time that we move the stanchions. So as we move the stanchions and free ourselves up, we're going to do this sex experiment. Are you ready for the sex experiment? I am ready for the sex experiment because sex is all about intimacy and intimacy is all about sex. Believers should have. No, that, that actually, his definitions are off there. <laughs> Have the best sex life because we understand that sex comes from God. There's seven things that's going to happen in your marriage. Oh. You know, I actually understand that Fords come from Michigan. Does that somehow make it me a better driver? I know that Toyotas come from Japan. I have a Toyota. Does that mean I'm a better driver because I know that it came from Japan? No, no, no. Isn't that a similar analogy? I mean, we're supposed to be better at sex because we know it comes from God. I know that uh, chocolate bars come from Pennsylvania. I'm pretty good at eating those. Over the next seven days, as you make love over the next seven days. Seven things that will happen in your marriage during... This sex experiment. Do you want to hear about them? Oh, I can't wait. Do, do, do you really want to hear about? It? I oh. do. I want. I want to. Do you think people would go? No, no. If they had all said no, would he, would he said? Would he have gone? Oh, okay. Then I won't say it. 
It's ridiculous. You hear about it. Because we might have to expand the nursery after this series in about nine months. Here's the first one. Number one, we're fulfilling God's purpose. Okay, here we go. Here we go. We got a, we got a little bit of Bible here, apparently. So this is purpose-driven sex. When we make love in marriage... We're fulfilling God's purpose. See, the stanchions are down. We have the freedom to make love. We're fulfilling God's purpose. The Bible says this, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter two, verse 24. You've probably heard this verse 24. We're so far into the sermon. We're, we're going to get to one verse. Well, he'll give more. Here we go. Here it is before if you've hung around church for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife kids leave spouses stay they will become one flesh look at your spouse for a second look at your spouse for a second your spouse should be a sex spurt so say baby you're a sex spurt really that's what he got from this Okay, hang on one second. The, the, the verse is Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And his translation of that verse is, honey, you should be an, a sex spurt. Because of this? Just say it right now. If you're seated next to your spouse. Whoa, let me, let me, let me qualify that. Because remember, when we said, I do, we said, you know what? I'm only going to do it with you. When I said, I do, I said, you know what? I'm only going to do it with Lisa for the rest of my life. And she was making that same decision, that same commitment. He's getting this from this passage, right? Sounds like that's what he's doing. He read a verse, but... Hmm. Now... After about two years, most marriages go, ooh, I've only got to do it with you for the rest of my life. Wah, wah, wah. Why is he not actually reading God's word? Uh, I think the scripture doesn't back up what he's saying. That sounds boring. Uh, uh, uh. I'm not so sure. You know what's really funny is is that that's the exact same argument that I hear from people who want to be relevant about. They say liturgical churches are boring. (sighs) (laughs) And then what do we do? We begin to look around and we have these mobile eyes and we. This really isn't a sermon plagiarize and fantasize and then we get all fouled up rationalize the bible says for this reason for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh it doesn't say the two will be one flesh the two shall become it's that becoming part that's challenging so every time you have sex with your spouse you're fulfilling God's purpose. Because guess what? Your body is not your body. Your body is for God. And if you're married, your body is your spouse's body. Can you give us some passages there? There's some good verses that actually say something like that. 
Will it get to him? What do you do when one wants it and the other doesn't? What do you do when one's in the mood and the other isn't? What do you do? You watch television. (laughs) Well, I'll answer that as we continue to go on. Let's look at the second thing. Not only does it fulfill God's purpose, also (sighs) or true self. What? When I have sexual intercourse in marriage, it reveals my true self. It reveals that I'm a sinner? Really? <laughs> <laughs> really? It, 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 it shows me that I'm a sinner in need of a savior? That's revealing my true self, wouldn't it? That's why Lisa and I wrote this book called The Marriage Mirror. Marriage is a mirror. Reflected. He's quoting his book. Not the Bible. Uh, In marriage is Ed. So let's see. Ed's books two, Bible one. All right. At his best and Ed at his worst. As I look into Lisa's eyes, that's what I see. A big mirror. When she looks into my eyes, that's what she sees. Lisa at her best and Lisa at her worst. One of the reasons why people bolt on marriage is because they don't like what they see reflected back. They don't like their junk and their funk. They don't like their inconsistencies. They don't like their anger, their resentment. They don't like that. So they go, whoa, I don't like it. I'm out. Or they look and go, you know what? I don't really dig it. So I'm just not going to have sex that much. Because if you don't have sex very much, you don't have to really get to know the person. And, and that's the, the, the awesome thing about this experiment. You can run, baby, but you can't hide. This I'm beginning to lose patience. This week, because we're going to have sex so much, we have got to talk. We have got to deal with these issues. Oh, no, you don't. Really, seriously, you don't. So he's not a very good therapist either. No. See, this proves that he does not have a license to practice therapy. I don't see how just being animalistic about sex is going to somehow solve solve the intimacy problem at all. We've got to be intimate. I like that word, intimacy. Into me. See? (laughs) The closer I... Wow, that's about as brilliant as the people who say the atonement means at-one-ment. I think this guy's about as sharp as a soggy pancake. Yeah. Jeez. I get to Lisa. Sharp as a bag full of wet mice. The more I see my good and my bad, the more I see Lisa's good and Lisa's bad. My favorite musician. All right, we're done. (laughs) I'm done. Done. We are ha- we are at the halfway point. The score so far is uh, Ed's books to Bible one. Um, so, folks, uh, that's what uh, you would have experienced had you been there. You know, with your it had Ed Young been your pastor, been all over the news, letting everyone know how what racy and edgy he is, and and that you know God wants us to have sex, and God, you know this, and you know, and he's barely brought God into it at all. I thought that God was a big sex pert oh boy anyway (laughs) 
that's it. There we go. We're, we're I'm, I'm going to write Ed Young off at this point. Uh, pretty much done with him. Okay, folks. Uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've you've heard on the program, talking about tongues, talking about anything we talked about in the in the listener email, you can do so, or talk about how what a sexpert you are because you know you know where sex came from. Um, email me talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless you.